You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. But yeah, so great to be here with you. And I have a question for you today. I want to ask you this. Who is somebody who has impacted your life in a positive way, and what was it that they did? It's a really important question for us to ask, and I wanted to get some honest feedback on this question. So recently I posted it on Facebook, and I figured I'd just share with you a couple of the responses I got. Here they go. I once got a C on a trigonometry test. So let's stop there. I actually think that is a miracle in and of itself. But anyways, I once got a C on a trigonometry test. My teacher said to me, I know you can do better than that. I was hurt because I had given what I thought was my everything. I then got upset and I said, I will show her. I dug in deep and I got an A in her class. She later talked to me about college. I became one of the first in my family to earn a degree. It's amazing how that one sentence that upset me so much drew me closer to my potential. That's powerful. Another one said, while many had told my husband and I that we could have a personal relationship with Jesus, it wasn't until a plumber working at our house had witnessed to us that we accepted Christ. It changed our lives and the lives of our children forever. Oh, that's a really interesting one. But how many of you know that God can work through plumbers, carpenters, people that are doing work at your house? God will work through them, and it changed their lives forever. I actually knew this family's children, and they were on fire for God. And it's so cool to see how God works. The last one, in 38 years, my husband has never said one unkind word or derogatory remark to me, even in jest. He healed me in so many ways. How many of you know it's not just the words that we say to people, but often the words we don't say communicate a clear message as well. And I thought this was such a powerful example because in marriage, there are times where you can be mean. How many of you agree that that can happen? Uh, But in 38 years, has never criticized or cut his wife down. That is amazing. And God is obviously working through that individual. But here's the common theme that I want to draw from. Someone made a choice to communicate God's truth to these individuals, whether they knew it or not. Sometimes we can be used by God, and we don't even know we're being used by God. Even unbelievers can sometimes be used by God, even though they're not intentionally doing it. And so often we see people for where they currently are and not what God sees for their future. I think this is so important for us as church members to get. Sometimes we see people that walk in the doors, and maybe somebody is totally wasted, We think, why didn't you stay home? Why did you come to church? But what God sees when that person comes in is, man, they're in the right place at the right time, and I I see what I could do in their life. And God wants us to see with that perspective. What if we saw people the way God sees people? And I think back to when I was originally saved, If God would have seen me for where I was and not what I could become, I guarantee I would still be stuck there 
today. And I think if we take an honest assessment, we could say the same thing about our own lives. I'd venture to say that if you look back to the moment that you were saved, that God used somebody to reach you. Whether it was on TV, you saw this great evangelist and your heart was moved. And you realize, man, I need to repent of my sin. Or maybe it was a friend that you grew up with in college. And they said, hey, there's a better way. But I can guarantee that each one of us have been impacted by someone who saw what God saw in us. He saw or they saw our potential in Christ. So all of us were created by God to be encouraged and to give encouragement. When one is off balance, we can feel it. How many you know we can really feel that when either we're not encouraging others or we're not being encouraged? And I love this quote from Dave Ramsey. He says, everyone needs a teacher, a student, and a friend. Or it could be said that everyone needs a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. How true is that today? We need people to encourage us. We need to encourage others. And we need friends. We need all three of those. And when one is missing... We can feel it. We can feel that there's something not connecting. And today, what I want us to focus on together is the second one, encouraging others. I believe that God wants us to step out in faith and encourage those that we meet. So let's go ahead and pray together before we jump into uh, the word today. God, we thank you that you're here in this room this morning. And that you speak to us through your word. And we pray that as we read through your scripture, Lord, that we wouldn't add to it or subtract from it, but that we would allow it to shape us and change us in the areas of our lives where we need to change. I pray for every heart that is in this room, that our hearts would be open to receiving with joy everything that you have for us today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to James 3 with me today. I recently preached out of James for our young adults gathering, and I wasn't planning to preach out of James today, but as I was preparing, it just really fit the best. And here's what I love about James that I told our young adults. I love James because the message is so clear and the application is crystal clear for each one of us. There's no way we can read James and walk away thinking, hmm, I really wonder what that meant. Because James, pretty much, it's sort of like a punch in the face. It's like, wow, okay, I get it. All right. Um, So let's go ahead and read together. I want to say at the very beginning of this, you'll be challenged today. As I've read this, I've been very challenged by God's word. And I really pray that God will work in us this morning. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So what do teachers do? They instruct. They use their mouth to tell people something. And right from the beginning, James is saying that that's actually a very important thing to do. That the words we speak, they influence people. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Though your tongue may seem insignificant, it carries great significance. Verse 5 explains that the tongue is so small, yet it says so much. There are so many people that, you know, they may look really nice, but the moment they speak, you're like, oh, wow. It tells a lot about a person by the way they talk to others because the tongue, it can give you a great reputation or it can completely destroy your reputation. One word can change perspective. This is especially true if you think back and reflect on what others have said to you. A great example of this is family upbringing. And in a second, I'll give that example. But what I want to say, each one of us can probably think of a time when somebody said, said a word that just really cut deep. Maybe it was um, a family member or a friend, but they say something, or maybe an enemy, uh, but they say something that sticks with you. And it could be something from 20 years ago, and you still remember it to this day. You can picture them in your head. Many of us have been hurt by what people have said. And some of you grew up in great family environments where your parents encouraged you and said, you know what, God has great plans for you. He loves you. We love you. And we believe that you can do anything through Christ. But others of you, and I'd say many of you, grew up in families where you were discouraged. You were told you're a failure. Every time you messed up, you were told that you're, you're a failure. And your parents weren't so loving. And what we have to understand is the way we were raised, the things that we experienced growing up, sometimes they can attach themselves to us. And the way we see others is shaped by how we were treated. And it's so key to understand this. But we have to shake off the things that other people have said to us. Why is that? Because our identity is not found in what others have said to us. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. Though your tongue may seem insignificant, what you say carries great significance. James 3, 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. All right, I need my volunteer, Owen, to come on up. I pre-selected him, so right after worship, I said, hey, do you want a volunteer? He's like, uh, I was like, awesome. So this is Owen. Owen, good to see you, man. You're much taller than me. That's great. We have a short staff. All right, go ahead and stand right there, Owen. All right, for this illustration, we're going to have some fun today. Are you a brave man? Would you say you're a brave guy? All right, cool. I need you to hold this candle, okay? And I need you to hold it in the other hand because I'm going to need you to hold the microphone for me. I think I'm the one that's scared right now. All right, awesome. So are you scared? Not scared at all. This is a very brave individual, and he's holding this beautiful candle. Go ahead and turn it around so they can see the label. 
this is a great uh, candle that you can buy, uh, buy at Home Goods. And uh, my wife bought it for our house, and I brought it to my office. Uh, no, I do not light it while I'm at work. Uh, just kidding. All right, let's go ahead and blow this out. All right, go ahead and grab what is underneath. Go ahead and shake it around a little bit. Is there anything in there? All right, take the cap off, and then I want you to smell it. Not too long, but I want you to smell it. That worked out nice. Now, what's it smell like? Like gas. Like real gas? It's not like water or anything, right? Okay. All right, cool. Stay right there. I'm just going to set it inside of the hole. Are you scared now? Yes. All right. Awesome. Let's give Owen a round of applause. You can set that down. He is a brave man. I think I saw some people run out of the doors. So see you guys next week. Uh, but here's the, here's the deal. The match, this small, tiny thing, has incredible power depending on how it's applied. So with the candle, it's not really a big deal. Now, obviously, candles can light things on fire, and it can be very dangerous, and that's happened before. However, typically, it's an application we're used to. But when you think of a, a gas can and putting a, a match in there, first of all, it just seems really stupid. It's something you'd see on YouTube, like a group of guys like, oh, let's go ahead and do this. But it's really not a good idea, um, and it can have deadly consequences. And take a look at this campfire. Campfires are very important. Here's why. When you're camping in fall with your six-year-old son, it's important that you have a campfire that works. And I didn't have one that worked very well this past fall when I tried to take on a new hobby of camping. But when campfires work, this is what they look like. And they create heat, okay? But it all starts with the match. But forest fires are not so fun. What a campfire does, it keeps people safe. It keeps people warm. But forest fires are the exact opposite. They take lives. And it all really depends on how we apply that match. How great a fire is set ablaze. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Let's get real today. How often do we do this? We come in to this wonderful church, and I mean it. This is a wonderful church to be a part of. We come in here, though. We worship. We experience God's presence because his presence is absolutely here. You can literally feel his presence in this room as we worship together and hear from God. But so often we leave this place and we compartmentalize our faith. And when we get uh, to the restaurant where we go for lunch and the waitress isn't there for like 20 minutes, forgets about our table, uh, then comes back, gives us the wrong food. How, how many of you know we can quickly change our tune? And we forget the songs that we were just singing about God, and then we see people and we criticize them. Genesis 1.26 gives us a key insight. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's the key insight from that. When we curse people, we are cursing the very image of God. Let that settle in for a second. Because I think sometimes we, we can rationalize it or see people and be like, well, they really deserved it. However, the scripture is very clear that we, each one of us, everyone in this room was made in the image of God. So when we see somebody that maybe we don't like and we curse them or speak poorly to them, or how many of you know what happens most often behind their back, we are cursing the image of God. I don't know about you, but that scares me a little bit. I, I don't want to be cursing God by any means. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You were created by God to use your words to bless others. There's this guy that I would see at Four Seasons about a year ago. I don't see him there anymore, but I'd always run into him early in the morning, and he would be getting ready to head out of the gym. And he was an older guy. Uh, He's probably in his 80s, a a nice guy, but very, um, what's the word, A, a little bit out there. Some of his ideas on life were just interesting. So it was always a fun conversation, and I always found myself pretty entertained by the conversation. Well, one day, he was using the F word over and over and over again. And then he started talking about women poorly. And then he started talking about pornography. And eventually, I just had to take a stand. I said, no, I don't think that's right. He said, well, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. Then all of a sudden, he started saying, oh, well, yeah, you know, I go to Mass, and you know what, I'm a good man, and I'm excited, you know, someday, I, I believe I'm going to go to heaven, and, uh, you know, this, this is really, this is so nice to run into you, sir, and he, he changed his tune, and I, in that moment, I realized, I met a different man, this is a different person. How many of you know, though, that God didn't create you to be a chameleon, he created you to be his instrument, and as I was talking to him, I realized I was convicted, Because most of us, including myself, do that to some extent or another. Depending on the group, depending on the place, depending on where we're at, if we're not careful, we can quickly change who we are to try and appease. Or maybe the true self is coming out in different places. And we have to be so careful. God didn't design you to change depending on where you are or how you feel to fit the culture. He didn't design us that way. And when we live that way, we can feel this inner turmoil. And if you don't feel that, that should be especially scary because we've lost that conviction. And today it's so important that we are his instrument. And this goes into even the way we talk to people. We weren't created to tear people down, but we were designed to build people up. You were created to bless others. And I wanted to add this last part. Even people you don't like. 
Blessing others is easy when it's people you like. God bless you, brother. That's easy when it's a person that you like. But what about when it's somebody you don't like and it's an enemy? Somebody, think of a person who has really wounded you and has maybe gone behind your back to hurt you. That's a little bit harder. And I think this is, in my opinion, one of the hardest things about being a Christian is loving our enemies. But Jesus told us to do it. So what do we do? We do it. But it's hard work, and it takes very intentional effort, and we have to lean into God and allow his Holy Spirit to help us see even our worst enemies as people that were created in his image that are fallen that he has great potential for if they were to encounter his presence. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That really clarifies by the way he lives his life, not by just what he says, but by how he's living. Let him prove it. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So anytime we're in it for ourselves, we are being false to the truth. Because ambition says, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? To be totally honest, the way God calls us to live, it doesn't always mean we're going to get something out of it. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What a strong sentence. A lot of times when we think about demonic stuff, we think about people standing in a circle holding hands and dark clothes, and there's a pentagram in the middle. But what I want us to understand today, the devil is way more clever than that. He wants to influence your heart and the things you say to people and actually use you for his schemes. And we have to be really careful because most of you would say, I would never participate in demonic activity. But every time we talk poorly about somebody or to somebody, no matter who they are, we're actually doing that. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Here's the good news. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What a beautiful scripture. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what God has called us to be as a church. To speak life into others, you have to see people from God's perspective. You can't sow peace into people that you don't see from God's perspective. Because if you see people for where they are or what they've done to you or what they've done to others, you're not going to be sowing peace. You're going to be trying to get even or one-up them or, you know, I'm going to make things right. But that's not sowing peace. Are you a person that sows in peace and a person who makes peace? Are you one that stirs up trouble? 
It's an important question for us to address because the Bible is so clear that by our conduct, the way we live, we're judged. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, not just you, not just me. He loved the world. I love this because it, it's encompassing of God's heart. God didn't say, I just love Pastor Kenny and the people that go to First Assembly and the people that go to Eastview and Vail, but the rest of them, not so much. He said, I love the world. And he sent his son to die on a cross for the world. And if we can see people that way, it makes it so much easier to minister to them, to speak life into others. We must see people from God's perspective. God sees the big picture. He sees not where we are currently at, because each one of us, go ahead, raise your hand if you agree that we're all growing, right? We're all growing, each and every one of us. I think it's important to remember where we started on that growth journey. If I were to share all of our stories of each person in this room of what we looked like pre-salvation, I think some of us would run out of that door and be like, I'm out of here. I do not, this is embarrassing. But the beauty of it is that Jesus knew all of that when he died on the Christ, or died on the cross for us. And he had compassion on us. And we're to see others that same exact way. God sees sheep that need a shepherd. I love that. As the band comes forward, I believe we need to address just two simple questions in our own life. We're at a point of decision because it would be a shame for us to hear God's word and then leave exactly the way we came in. Each one of us, all of you raised your hand and said, yeah, we're growing. So that means that every one of us can apply this and go further in the things that God has for us. The first question today is this. Are you going to use your tongue for evil? Really think about that. I don't want you to just say, no, of course not. Because I think it's easy to say, yeah, of course not, we won't do that. Because we, what we can do, we can actually deceive ourselves saying to ourselves, you know, in this, this opportunity, it was, it was actually justified because this, this, and this. We trick ourselves. But if we're honestly to look at Scripture and say, you know, I'm going to use my tongue for good things, we have to address that. Second question is, are you going to use your tongue for godliness? That's our second option. So it's very easy. We have two options, evil, godliness. But we have to make a choice. And what's it look like to use our tongue for godliness? That's sort of a question I was trying to think through. Obviously, I know what not to do, but what's it actually look like? What's like the positive side of what to do? Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4.29. I'd encourage you, underline this verse, write it, get a tattoo on your arm. Just kidding. Uh, but... Ephesians 4.29, this is so important for us to get today. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The scripture doesn't say, let some corrupting talk come out of your mouth when you deem it appropriate. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may 
give grace to those who hear. God has designed us to build people up everywhere that we go. And I want to challenge us this morning. The first place that we need to address is church. No, it's actually not church. I was going to trick you. It's home. If we aren't building up the people in our home, that is the starting place of ministry. It's not this big gathering here. It's actually in our house. So if you look at your spouse, if you look at your kids, if you look at your extended family, and the words you're saying to them aren't building them up and encouraging them, you have a serious problem. And if it's easy for us to encourage people at church but not at home, we have to really look at what we're valuing. Because I believe if the home is healthy, the church will be healthy. So that's the first place we start at home. We build, we encourage, we give gifts of grace. Church, this should be a place where people walk in, they encounter God, but they also encounter God's people. God's people. When they talk to us, they say, man, that person is so different. I I encountered God in the service, but I encountered God's people. And both are so incredibly important. Of course, work. State Farm has so many people that attend great churches in this town. We have First Assembly, we have Vail, we have Eastview, and numerous others that are really great, strong churches. There's absolutely no reason that State Farm shouldn't be having a revival inside those walls. There's absolutely no reason. And where it starts is they will know us by our love. So if we don't start there, we're missing it. Everywhere that we go, even when we go on vacation, we're still bearers of God's image everywhere that we go. I want to close with the final story. And it's a very powerful story of a young lady who actually attends this church. And when I had posted that Facebook, uh, you know, question about who is somebody that has impacted your life in a positive way and what was her name? She didn't um, comment on it. She sent me a message, and I asked her permission to share this story. I really want you to let this story sink into your hearts. I was a single mom at 18 who really had everything working against me and my family. I made bad choices and efforts to escape my home life. I was kicked out by age 17, and I felt like I had no purpose. Mostly by that point, I didn't care if I died, and I thought about suicide often. My good grades started slipping, and I ended up dropping out of high school with no plan, no goals, and no hope. I began using drugs and drinking, and the depression was overwhelming. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed before by the things happening in life? I was scared when I found out I was pregnant. I had believed in God, but I'd never been showed what a walk with him really looks like. I was confused, and even though I never believed abortion was okay, I scheduled an appointment for one. I was criticized and ridiculed by my family in different ways for being pregnant, both privately and in front of others, as well as behind my back. So all three privately, publicly, and behind her back. But something in me, which I am sure 
was the Holy Spirit couldn't go through with the abortion. I canceled the appointment and never thought about it again. Some of my family suggested giving the baby up for adoption, but I was already going through with the pregnancy, and I couldn't wrap my head around giving him to a stranger. And then he came. The innocence of that baby changed my heart so much. And then she goes on to say she worked through the pain, but she is on fire for God. And she is so glad that the Holy Spirit worked in her life. But here's the thing. That's not the story for every person. Some people don't have that same story where they've gone through with the the decision. And if there was somebody in their life who could have just said, you know, God has something greater for you. I believe that you can be something great and that God has a plan for your child. God has a plan for you, that he's going to restore you. So many people's lives could be different. And I think the thing we have to understand is that life and death is actually hanging in the balance of the words that we speak to people. And we need to get out of our comfort zones, each one of us. I believe God wants to stretch us a little more than we've been stretched before. And he wants us to look at people and look at every opportunity to speak life into them. Let me jump back to Ephesians 4.29 because I think there's something really cool about that scripture. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I love the visual of this. When words of life and encouragement are given to people, they're not just words. You're actually giving them a spiritual gift. You're extending a gift to them. And there's so much power in our words. As we give gifts of grace, may we be a church that is known for giving grace to people. As we speak to people, may we be a church that encourages both publicly to the person behind their back, that we would be people that always have life to give to others. First thing today I want to do, I want to have all of us just go ahead and stand up together. In a moment, we're going to jump back into Build My Life, which is such a fitting song for today's message. But I have two responses. The first one is for those in this room who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is the most important decision that you will ever make, but it comes with a cost. When you decide to follow Christ, you're actually saying, I laid down everything in my life to follow him. There's nothing off limits. And it's definitely, there's a process to growing in Christ, and you make a commitment of faith, but God will continue to ask more of you. But you have security in Jesus. You know that when you die, you'll spend eternity with God and not eternity in hell. You know that your life now has purpose. There's more to life than just accumulating wealth on earth. There's more to life than everything you've experienced so far. The Holy Spirit can be alive and active in your life. If that's you today, I want you to go ahead and just raise your hand with me. Let me just see you in the room. Awesome. Great, and we're just gonna go ahead and just pray a prayer of salvation together and then jump to our second response. Dear Heavenly Father, repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd forgive me of all of my sins. I know that I fall short. 
but with you, you are more than enough. I believe that your son Jesus died on a cross for me and that he rose again and I ask for forgiveness. I put my faith in you today. In your name I pray, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for those who made that commitment today. Second thing I want to do for those of you who know the Lord in this place. As I was praying about how do we close this service, what I really felt like God was speaking is we need to repent. We need to repent of how we've been using our words. Even like the smallest infraction, we need to repent. And I love um, online, I found this great um, understanding of what repentance is because sometimes we see repentance as, God, I'm sorry. I know I'm going to do it again, but I'm sorry. (laughs) But true repentance is to turn away from what you were doing. So maybe for you it's gossip, to turn away from that and to turn to God. And I believe today that we need to do that. Every part of our life has to be submitted to the will of God the Father, and His perfect will is that we be givers of grace. So as we sing this this song again, I want to encourage you to come forward just as a sign of repentance to the Lord this morning. Don't worry about anyone watching you. That really doesn't matter because, guys, if we're still worried about that, we are really held back. I want to know that my life counted. I want to know that I... I didn't have pride standing in the way of me responding to the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I'm, I'll be up here right with you because I've used my words in ways that have harmed people before. I need to repent just like each one of us. But remember, repentance doesn't just stop at saying sorry. It's saying, God, I will follow you and do what you have for me. So go ahead and come forward as uh, Zach and the team go back into the song. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.